how come when when you pee sometimes like it splashes back at you? Like, what, how come no one's figured that out? You know. Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. And this is Kendall Monet. Each week we bring you stories that keep you up to speed and connected to the world around you. We give you the news that matters so you don't feel so dumb around your smart friends. Today we're talking with the engineers who solved the urinal splashback problem. For the men listening, you know what we're talking about. For the women, keep listening. <laughs> but first, let's go over the headlines. So, Kendall, last year, July 2015, NASA's New Horizons spacecraft flew by Pluto and took some pictures. And even though that was a year ago, we're still analyzing uh, we're still analyzing some of those pictures. So let me just kind of summarize what some findings were last week. So there's new research about a big plain region on Pluto called Sputnik Planitia. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's Pluto's icy plain, and they've noticed some interesting things there. The Sputnik Planitia is, they call it the heart of Pluto. I think it's that red part, the heart kind of looking oh, thing. Oh, okay, like, like the birthmark the heart-shaped thing on Pluto. Yeah, Pluto kind of looks like, you know, the Earth's moon, except it has a little red thing on it. Uh, especially these new pictures confirm that. Um, so this is what they uh, found about this planar region. Um, they they found uh, there's likely a water ocean underneath the surface. Another thing, they've noticed that this region is aligned with Pluto's moon, Charon. And... They've also noticed that this region has migrated over the years. So one of the writers um, commented to, I think, Popular Science, who's talking about it. So this has migrated over 745 miles southeast. So to put this in perspective, this is what one of the researchers said. He said, the same reorientation on Earth, granted Earth is, a larger than, is larger than Pluto, would be like taking North America and South America and swapping places. Pretty crazy. That's huge. So this is basically like a big, like a big glacier that moves and it follows the moon on Pluto. Well, um, I think two uh, things they've been talking about is it's migrated towards you know the the moon, kind of like how um, on Earth how we have ocean tides, how it kind of makes uh. the the moon it makes the Earth like lopsided because of the um, gravity pull of the moon. So it may be something like that. Another thing is it's kind of toward its um, equator. Um, and like when things spin, like the outermost part, especially if they have more mass, tend to make it lopsided. Just like when you're on a merry-go-round, you want to you know, get spun out. Um, yeah. That's kind of what's happening just from the rotation of Pluto. Okay. Interesting. So does any of this, do any of these new tricks that we now know Pluto can do um, help it to achieve its its previous status as a planet? Uh, yeah, see, I was as disappointed as many scientists when I found out that Pluto was no longer a planet because I learned that there were nine planets in the solar system and now there's eight. Uh, so does this uh, bring it up uh, to planet scale? Well, let's talk about why it was uh, taken off the planet list in the first place. There are two reasons I, I understand. Um, one, um, they started discovering things that were like around the size of Pluto. So we would either have to add more planets to our solar system count. So imagine like 15 planets, whatever. Or um, we just declassify Pluto and then we don't have to keep adding these things, calling them planets. The other thing is it's not a perfect sphere. It's not spherical enough, they said. And so that 
disqualified it too. So, um, yeah, I'm disappointed between, you know, things just aren't how they were when I was in science class. Well, better luck next time, Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, my first story I have for you, Sean, is a new story about fake news. Well, isn't that so, what people have been blaming the media for already? Yeah, basically. Um, this this is a, a little more serious, and this is not stuff like The Onion, if you've uh, ever seen any of their articles oh, yeah. floating around online. That's Great. just parody. Um, or and it's and it's not stuff like late night talk shows where they um make fun of certain political figures. I won't mention any names, but um calling them talking oranges or anything like that. <laughs> but um this this story um happened late in the election and there's still kind of some fallout from it. It's about Facebook news links and um, Google news search results that feature fake stories. Um, so some examples of this would be um, a story that floated around that said Pope Francis and Denzel Washington had endorsed Donald Trump. Trump had won the popular vote. I actually had a conversation with a coworker about that one. Wait, they believed um, it? Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, um, this story is all about algorithms and ads. Okay. So algorithms determine what you see online. So Facebook got in trouble earlier this year when they were censoring conservative news out of their trending news items. Um, they called the process curating huh. because they wanted to make sure certain items didn't appear in the trending lists. For example, every day at noon, they didn't want hashtag lunch to be trending because oh. it happens every day. But they would also uh, filter out other things. And this was people. They hired people to actually do this. So they called it curating. Other people said your bias is showing and you're not allowing conservative news. So, um, that's, that's one approach that Facebook and Google could take if they wanted to really crack down on these fake news sites. Another approach is banning them from using their ad or advertising platforms. Google and Facebook can bring in a lot of money for websites with their advertising platforms. And instead of bringing in people to filter these new sites and, and find the bad ones and blacklist them, sites like Facebook and Google are still going to allow the content on on their websites, but they are going to ban these fake websites, these fake news sites from using their ad platform. So it's going to hit them where it hurts in their pocketbooks. So give me an example. If I just wanted to produce a fake story to upset a lot of people um, and I had a website um, and I just want to, yeah, I want that to be pushed out on Facebook, what limits would I notice? So basically those ad services, you would be banned from using those if Google or Facebook or, or these websites found out that you were producing fake news. So, oh, because that's the incentive in the first place. Like, all they really want is people to click on their. They want like a provocative title and people to go to their site, uh, and then they make money because they're running all these ads. Right. Exactly. Okay. This happened in Macedonia. There were a few websites that were based in Macedonia of all places. And, and I had, I had heard that. Uh, a lot of these were like teens in Macedonia <laughs> making a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, I saw that story too. Yeah, making a lot of money off these ad um, platforms because they found out ways to write headlines that really got a lot of clicks. Yeah, the big the big issue here is that major news organizations are reposting these things without checking sometimes. Oh, no. So you have to be really careful with where you get your news. And I think the real takeaway here is 
just play it safe and listen to un- Uninformed. Yeah, you're biased. <laughs> <laughs> that might be our bias going through. <laughs> We're always true. Fair and balanced. No, we don't want to get into that. <laughs> How fair and balanced are is, uh, who is that? That's a CNN? Uh, Fox News. Fox News. They're always fair and balanced for things they believe in. Yeah. There is controversy in Canada over the F word being said in Canadian Parliament. The F word is fart. Whoa. Whoa. The F word is fart. <laughs> oh, <laughs> cleaning that up. <laughs> so, yeah, that sounded really crazy. But th- it was funny, um, the reaction to it, um, they were making it sound like it was the worst word ever. And, you know, I this is really appropriate as we're covering a potty humor segment um, with urine black holes. But here we have fart coming up in European Parliament. So, a member of Parliament, Michelle Rempel, uh, was accused of treating the province of Alberta like a fart in the room. <laughs> so, and then, so she got reactions from uh, Green Party leader Elizabeth May. She said, she reacted by saying, I heard her say a word I know is distinctly unparliamentary, and I think she may want to withdraw it. And then Michelle's, Michelle Rampel's uh, response, she said, the word was F-A-R-T. Like she spelled it out as if it was, you know, like the F word or something bad. Like anyway, a bad word. <laughs> a bad word. Four-letter word it is. Um, it's a four-letter word. Um, the word was F-A-R-T. Is my colleague actually serious? I just gave an impassioned speech about Alberta jobs, and that's what the leader of a political party has to say. No, I don't withdraw it. <laughs> so... Um, but, but the best part were the reaction to tweets. Um, so here's, here's one Canadian dear American friends. You think you have your problems here in Canada? We are debating the word fart. (laughs) Okay. And then this is another one. Um, another tweet said this, um, with all eyes of Trump's destruction of the U S politics and civil society, a silent, but deadly political scandal in Canada. (laughs) Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. Yeah, so, um, yeah, sorry if uh, this, we should, you know, preface this story like, this next story may have words that are offensive to to some people. I think our whole show this week is, is pretty heavy on potty humor, so I think it <laughs> which, fits. Which, and, and maybe I don't have any, like, uh, you know, any problems with this, because I kind of grew up with uh, potty humor, and I, I apologize, uh, but that's just, you know, the way I grew up. <laughs> I was born this way. Hopefully they don't change our rating on iTunes. <laughs> yeah. We'll get our thing revoked for talking about farts and urine. Yeah. Speaking of urine, so our main story this week is that um, we're talking to a couple of scientists who've solved a really important problem to a lot of men. Randy Hurd and Tad Truscott are engineers at the Utah State University Splash Lab. Part of their work in recent years has been designing a small urinal insert that prevents urine from splashing outside the urinal, providing a sanitary alternative to splash spots on men's pants. We talked to them about their story, the process of researching urine splash patterns, and the future of this long-awaited technology. And there's a bit of potty humor, too. Enjoy! Tad Truscott and Randy Hurd, welcome to Uninformed. Thank Thank you. you! So can you all kind of uh, introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Tad Truscott. I'm an assistant professor at Utah State University in the Department of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering. My name is Randy Hurd. I'm 
I'm a PhD student in the same university, believe it or not, and we even work in the same lab. Yeah, and our lab is called the Splash Lab. First of all, and we're all men. Oh, anyway, it actually turns out it's really important. Yeah. Well, well this is an all-man project. I mean, uh, urine black holes, this, the, addressing the splash of urinals. Um, can you kind of introduce this topic and tell how it came to be? How did you come to researching urine black holes? We, we attend a conference every year called uh, APS, the American Physical Society's Division of Fluid Dynamics, which, which sounds like the most interesting meeting you might attend all year. Oh, yeah. uh, we've been going to this thing for years, but the very first time Tad and I went, it was in San Diego. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting scientific conference because in addition to just having great, you know, findings, it also has really creative ways of displaying that data or showing concepts. And so I think we were both pretty inspired by the things we saw there. Uh, and we just kind of felt this motivation to try and keep up. Like we wanted to do something great. Uh, something interesting to the field of fluid dynamics, but also something that was kind of universally understandable. And as we're driving back, I think 10 hours from uh, from Southern California to Utah, we were eating a bunch of snacks and drinking a lot of Mountain Dew and making a lot of jokes. And somehow, I think the combination of, I guess, minds primed by scientific knowledge and maybe people that were too tired and had too much caffeine and were making immature jokes. Just being boy. Great idea of like, yeah. How come when when you pee sometimes like it splashes back at you? Like, what? How come no one's figured that out? You know. And so I think we thought that was a great problem because it's uh, it's got some interesting fluid dynamics, but at the same time it's something that I think every man could understand or you maybe want to listen a bit to, and then maybe understand your motivation for it. So it just seemed like a fun topic to start working on. Thus was the birth of the urine black hole concept. So right. Where well, yeah, I maybe mean, I should clarify, that wasn't the birth of the black hole, that was just the, the birth of studying this, this phenomenon in general. And at first we actually did a study only devoted to kind of what can you as the user do with a normal urinal to avoid splashback. So really just looking at distance away and changing angles and things like that and how that uh, affects splashing. So that was kind of the first endeavor we did. And I would I would say too, like, Along the way, we met a lot of people that were interested in this problem, and it's it's kind of funny. I think a lot of women are actually interested in it too. Oh, and so the what, ones that have to clean up after the men, or, or yeah, yeah. I mean, but more importantly, probably more like you know your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, whatever, spouse, you know, whatever. But who share a bathroom with you? And so it's not a urinal; it's usually a toilet. Oh. And so then this this eternal debate of like whether you should stand or sit and all of this kind of thing. So we got into that as well. And then along the way, we've been inspired by some other things, but we've also gotten into the, um, the urine black hole thing. So there's kind of this, there's a lot more to it than just one topic, obviously, but. Cool. Well, yeah, let's focus, let's first start with the urine black hole. And then, uh, I'm, I'm also interested, you know, eventually to hear what else you've learned about, you know, <laughs> the potty topics. The splashback problem. Right. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Um, and I should also say we do a lot more than just, uh, just potty talk too, but I mean that's fine. You're, you're <laughs> engineers. <laughs> yeah, of course. We just have a lot of interests. We do a lot of problems. But the urine black hole thing kind of came about when Randy and and Zhao were uh, were working together a little bit. Zhao found the bathroom, public bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Zhao, Zhao works on this. He's working standing on... together in the men's room. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, basically, you know, you go in there and you say, do these pads work or not work? And you come out saying, no, they don't work. Look, I'm, <laughs> I've sprayed myself again. So we tested lots of different pads, but one thing that we also study is this moss um, called Centrichia nervous. It's found in um, high deserts of the world. But one of the things we did when we studied it is we dropped droplets onto it, like as if we were watching rain fall onto it. And we noticed it sort of, well, the raindrop would, would hit it, and then you wouldn't see any splash back. Whereas if it hit the dirt or anything nearby, it would splash a lot. And this kind of gave us this idea. It got us started thinking, oh, man, we, it would be great if we could make something kind of like this moss. Um, but then at the same time, Randy kind of fell on this discovery of this thing called Vanta Black. Yeah, Vanta Black's this weird surface that's basically, I think the best way to describe it is like a immense forest of carbon nanotubes. So imagine all these kind of um, perpendicular pillars of carbon nanotubes standing straight up, and their height-to-width ratio is incredibly large. So basically how this works is that when light kind of penetrates into this forest, it kind of gets reflected and refracted so so much that it doesn't really come out again. And so, yeah, Zhao and I also looking at this Vanta Black, we were like, huh, could you make Vanta Black for pee? <laughs> like the, the screen just like goes in and the droplets never come out. Yeah, so one of the features of this moss that Zhao has been looking at is that it's flexible and it also has these interesting hairs at the end of each leaf um, that draw water down towards the leaf. And then it also has these structures that transport water really quickly as well. So all these things combine to tell us a little bit more about maybe a better way to make a urinal pad. So in our efforts, we kind of got started down that road, and then Randy really took things a lot further. And just to kind of give you an idea what this thing looks like, and for those who have never seen a urinal before, a urinal is a is this sort of bowl-looking thing that's in the bathroom that you stand up next to and then urinate into rather than sitting down. Then there's all kinds of methods to keep the urine from splashing back at you. And the main problem is not the first droplet. It turns out the first droplet is really, there's a lot of ways to mitigate that, but it's the second, third, fourth, the hundredth. They're land, these droplets are landing on a small, thin film of fluid, and that film of fluid causes this large splash to occur, and it usually goes out to the side, out towards the sides. Um, but depending on the angle of the urinal, um, those splashes can basically splash back onto you or onto your neighbor, which is even worse. <laughs> so, you know, when you go to a, when you go to a, um, a stall, we call them, or a urinal, there's often a divider between each urinal. And for, for women out there, these dividers are not like the ones you have on the sit-down toilets where you shut the door and lock it. These are just half walls. You can see each other's faces. So while you're, you're, you're you making a conversation, you can talk. Yeah, you're yeah. like, hey, how's it going? You know? <laughs> it's actually really Which, strange. I used, to think, about it. <laughs> I used to think they were for privacy, but the more we've done this research, it's, it's probably just the guy next to you doesn't pee all over you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I really thought it was just privacy. No, I, but we really, I don't, I don't know that it is necessarily. I mean, obviously it can serve two purposes, but what you'll find is if you look at those, you'll look at where the splash is and you'll notice that it has protected your neighbor from your own urine, which means you've been protected as well. So when you go to like a, a if you go to a, um, uh, an airport, typically they don't have these because they're trying to fit as many people as they can in the same space. Oh, yeah. So in those but cases, you never want to use a urinal at an airport. <laughs> That's right. But if you can imagine, ladies, 
uh, out there of the world, <laughs> we're standing next to each other with our pants down. <laughs> so that's even really more weird. <laughs> but it's, it's, I'm so sorry. I've gone down that road. I don't know what we're talking about. But anyway, still, there's still this problem of splashing back. And so anyway, Randy did this awesome study where he started looking at um, posts so that if you imagine these little one millimeter posts or two millimeter posts or half a millimeter posts, they're all sitting next to each other. When the water, when, when, you know, when the urine lands down into those, you're trying to optimize the spacing, the size, the height of these posts and maybe even their flexibility so that when the droplet goes down into it, it never comes out. And we're thinking like, uh, yeah. like toothpick size posts. Right. Yeah, like toothpick size. Like you can think of a toothbrush and those posts, you know, that the toothbrush stuff would be too small. They'd be too close together to do anything helpful. But maybe something more like you said, you put a bunch of toothpicks in a row, you know, next to each other. That that might be a better solution. Is it actually black or? (laughs) You know, they were actually black. And uh, I think this name black kind of originated from Vanta Black. And then that led to we started referring it to as a black hole because we wanted this thing that you know everything went into and nothing ever came out of again. <laughs> uh, and then ironically, yeah. when we had all the little test segments 3D printed, they happened to print them all out of black ABS, which was not a request. That was just maybe um, a Perfect. coincidence. So, yeah, most of the testing was done with black material. That's great for marketing, yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And you should know, too, I mean, you know, the urine goes in. It doesn't splash back out towards you, but it does leak out the bottom back into the, into the urinal. So it's yeah. not like it goes into this device and then you throw the device away. It just disappears forever. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So have you guys heard that Einstein quote about his son, the uh, famous hydraulic engineering professor? And he was working on sediment transport in rivers and um, reporters asked Albert Einstein what he thought of his son's career. And he said, He's working on a more difficult problem. So basically, fluid dynamics is harder, according to Albert Einstein, than, um, you know, the theory of relativity and astrophysics and stuff like that. What was your guys' process of testing? Did you run a lot of these, like, extremely difficult computer models, or was it more trial and error? It's definitely more trial and error. And just to kind of go back to that quote by Albert Einstein, I mean, I think what he's referring to there is that, like, in, in, in his theoretical laws, at least that he was doing, he could he could kind of think of idealized situations on those. And obviously, his son is trying to measure something that's not idealized and has you know thousands of variables rather than just one. You know, kind of like that whole idea that like a butterfly flaps its wings in Maine and it affects the weather in Mexico, that kind of thing. So I, I think that's you know just to give credit where credit is due. That's why that's a difficult problem. But anyway, back to. Um, Back to what, yeah, what we're doing. We, we're more experimentalists. We still look for problems like that, actually. And, um, we've actually distilled this problem down to a single post now. And we actually have a project we're doing on that. Um, just to understand how a droplet, when it, when it falls onto a single post, how it behaves. And that has a more theoretical result than what we did with the urinal, um, with the black hole. Right. Hundreds. Exactly. But and the same token, you know, and, and so that's why Randy did the study he did. So that's why there's so many um, cases that we ran through to look for the minimization of the splashback. But on the other, you know, um, 
there are people out there working on this problem, maybe not so much practically, but theoretically. So yes, I, we, we kind of have, uh, I don't know, I guess our group isn't working on the multiple posts issue right now, but we are looking on a single one. So in a lot of ways, we work on it from both angles. Um, and in a lot of ways, we try and do what Einstein does and look for the most simple case because it's something we can actually explain. Now, I still have a, I, I'm still wondering what is the optimal configuration for these urine black holes, the, the post, the, the size, what was the best result? <laughs> I, so we don't want to go into a lot of the details. Or is that proprietary? <laughs> yeah, it actually is under patent right now. So oh, we wow. The numbers, but we can kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, really what it comes down to is, uh, I mean, we can talk about kind of the relationships. So the reason the spacing is important is because if it's if it's too close, you're going to have those um, spaces filling up. Basically, you're going to be maintaining a pool of water between those posts, which is then going to cause splashing that's undesirable. Of course, if they're too far apart, then you have all these nice pathways that small droplets created by the splash can travel down and then you know hit your neighbor. So those are kind of the that's kind of what you're working off with with spacing. Uh, the pillar is kind of the same way. There's there's a sweet spot with the pillar diameter as well, whereas if it's too small and needle-like, it's not going to really help that much. Whereas it, once it becomes larger, you're effectively creating a second surface above your your bottom surface, which is just creating splashing as well. So with those two parameters, there's kind of a trade-off. Height, obviously, uh, the higher the better. If we could make one of these that you know had one-foot-high pillars, heck, you could pee into that thing and and no, no trouble would happen. But then of course, yeah, these yeah. devices become a lot more difficult to manufacture. So obviously you're trying to get the lowest height you can uh, while still preventing splash so that you can make these things manufacturable. Well, and, and to save costs, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. So you guys mentioned it's under patent. Um, are they going to is – there, is there a business idea here? Are they going to start mass producing these? You know, we're, we're looking into that right now. Uh, I think we're, we're weighing the options of whether we want to try and produce them ourselves or whether it would be better to uh, find another – uh, company to produce them for us. Um, but yeah, that's kind of why we went the patent route so that we have the rights to intellectual property. And uh, yeah, it's hard to find a time to maybe think about it as much as we want to, but we're definitely weighing the options right now with some help at the university of what direction we want to take this in, because we do think it's really cool. And, uh, you know, we don't want to sound silly and say, you know, we'd love to save the slacks of men across this great nation, but uh, <laughs> we actually would, you know, like that's the sales pitch. Make make urination great again. I, guess. <laughs> yes. I, I th- <laughs> you guys kind of run a political commentary, so hopefully that is applicable. I don't know. No, I appreciated that. Yeah, we can build walls, or we can build urination. <laughs> Some walls around these urinals. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, just kick out people that don't know how to use urinals. <laughs> wow, this is. This is where it's all at. This is the American dream right here. That's um, right. Yeah. Tell me maybe some of the weirdest questions you've had at conventions or when you've done discussions on this. <laughs> I think the favorite question I get myself is I have, you know, we have a simulated urine stream that we run water through to do all these tests, but it's very anatomically correct and a little awkward when you're trying to position it just right. But, uh, I think when a lot of people see these videos, they look pretty realistic because we put so much time into accurately replicating this system. And I think a lot of people ask, like, is this is this you were watching? Like, are you doing this stuff? 
everybody. And like, how much do you have to drink to like, keep up a good output? But uh, obviously, that's that's not how it's done. We try to keep uh, one. We don't have to work through the IRB, and two, we want to keep our lab somewhat sanitary. So. Yeah, we don't use urine. <laughs> <laughs> the tests are all done with water. And the tests are done with a, a 3D printed male urethra. So. <laughs> Which refer to as water angle navigation guide. Or Wang for short. <laughs> wait, wait. Now, now, Wang. Now tell me something. So. Sorry. Um, so this gets biological real quick. And you guys are, you know, mechanical engineers. Um, how did you figure out the anatomy there? <laughs> well, I spent a lot of time reading a lot of papers that made my cheeks red. And uh, there were a few times, I was at BYU at the time, and there were a few times I feel like my colleagues would come in and I'd have some title on my screen, like an analysis of like the 14-year-old male, like you're <laughs> something I felt like kind of a pervert, but I was always like, no, 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 guys, it's for science. I got to find out. It's <laughs> for right. science. Uh, in fact, my, I think my favorite stat statistic that we needed is we were curious how far the average man stood away from a urinal. You know, I, I've only ever used it myself. I don't really take notes on the guys next to me. Right. So we wanted to just kind of get a sample of, you know, based on the people that we're working kind of closely with us, what's, what's a good estimate for how far the average man stands back from a porcelain? So we basically just sent 20 people into this bathroom at once, all with urine, with rulers in their hands, which probably looked weird—a bunch of dudes like heading into the bathroom with, with rulers. But, uh, sure. We got some we got some good data out of that. I think it's funny too. Like it's so it's so funny how it it's kind of like something we don't talk about a lot in our culture. But then, like I said earlier, like we stand right next to strangers and do it, right? <laughs> so it's like so weird, and. Um, yeah, so those kind of I don't know, it's kind of interesting the questions we get. Yeah, they're 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 quite funny. And the yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite thing though, we actually get fan mail about this. So I this is so weird. Like anyway, we get people that mail us or email us and we've had people call us and they say like I just want to thank you so much. You saved my marriage. Uh <laughs> what? You know, Obviously, right now we're talking about urinals, but we also have worked on toilets, and we recommend people sit, you know, men sit down to urinate and things like this. And so we'll have people call and be like, I'm so grateful that you said that. I, you, you saved my marriage. And it's not always women. It's often men who are like, I didn't realize scientifically this was happening. I'm so grateful. Like, wow, really? You know, like, it's just really funny. And then we have, um, we've received several poems. One was like a four-page poem about aiming and things in the urinal. I'll try to remember my favorite the one. The best one. But though. it was like... It's my favorite, too. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. yeah it's it, like... Research of how people piss goes something, something like, like this. this. Yeah. The distance angle of genital dangle accounts for why men often miss. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> my very, very favorite thing that ever happened is we were on Saturday Night Live. Oh. Yeah, so well, not personally, no, but our joke was, our story, yeah, yeah, so when we wrote the story and we broke the news or whatever people were asking us, we always tried to, like, follow up with some sort of self-deprecating joke, but we wanted it to be, like, something 11-year-olds would appreciate, or maybe, you know, maybe 15-year-olds. We didn't want it to be, like, dirty, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we were, like, we would say things like, and Randy was pretty great at it, but he was, like, always saying, like, you know, you don't want to 
you know, so many men don't want to get their khakis wet or whatever, you know, from splashing. And he was, or he'd say, like, you can totally tell when someone's gone to the restroom, it's wearing khakis, you know, so they have these dots all over. So anyway, we did, it was just really funny. So then Seth Meyers did a little piece on, on the research and he used our joke, which was just awesome. So we were like, Hey, we arrived. Wow. <laughs> yeah, this was great. Wow. So you've lifestyles of the rich and famous. Yeah, that's right. Right. How I mean, families come together. Uh, yeah. So many things. Preserving oh. marriages. Yeah. Uh, the blessings of the urine black hole. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, anything else you guys want to say to wrap it all up? You know, it's, it's just been kind of funny. I think, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to say something that sounds weird, but, uh, you know, I think what scientists love is, uh, or what's kind of fun about science is just noticing problems or observations in the world around you and then trying to kind of get to the bottom of them. And, uh, you know, I think this is just kind of a funny one because I think often people in their work study something that's so difficult to maybe talk with other people about. You know, it's it's such a specific thing, like, if you're looking at, like, feeding patterns in a specific species of ant, uh, you know, maybe it's hard to, like, strike up a conversation with that. But I think it's been it's been fun doing this work because people uh, can all relate to it. And then people never forget it, too, which is kind of funny. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I, I actually, I, I like talking to people about this. So it's kind of fun because it breaks the ice. You can get to know new people in kind of a weird way. But what's cool is, like, people always have suggestions that, it seems like every once in a while, like every 10th person or so, we get a suggestion. We're like, wow, I didn't even thought of that. Maybe we should check that out. And um, that makes the research continue. I don't know. It's kind of awesome. And the general public is participating, which I think is cool. I think the best suggestion is one guy was like, no, you just balance on the top of the dividers and then pee Spider-Man style all the way down. <laughs> Straight There's down. There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's always more to learn. This is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I want to say one more thing, too. Sure. It's been really, I'm, I'm really, really grateful that when I go use the restroom, people don't recognize who I am. <laughs> so I'm really glad like our faces are not really associated with it. Cause you can't imagine like how embarrassing traveling around the world and every single time you use the restroom, somebody make a comment, right? <laughs> Great. So I'd like to Today we'll come. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try to prop you up there, but we're just a small podcast. So <laughs> that's fine. I'm just saying it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Randy Hurd, Tad Truscott, thank you for joining us on, on Uninformed. It's been our pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, please leave a comment on our Facebook page or write a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Our theme music is provided with permission by D.D. Dumbo. If you want to hear more experimental Australian music, go check him out. Again, that's D.D. Dumbo. And thank you each so much for listening. Your support really keeps us going. This has been Ununinformed with Kendall Monet and Sean Seavey. Don't forget to like our Facebook page so you can see every new episode or visit us at ununinformed.com. That's un-uninformed.com. Thanks, guys.